In this message, I want to continue to talk about the authority of Christ and I want to go all the way back and look at where the question, from where did, G, did Christ authority come from? From where did Christ's authority come from? Now we know that he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Um, I want to connect scripturally his authority to the concepts of grace and truth by showing that it was the light of the world, that this design was at the very foundation, the very essence of God's decision to create, even to create man. So when we speak of trusting the authority of Christ and understand that we are delegates under His headship, the outcomes can never be different from a true outcome can never be different from that which brings grace and truth and elevates the human being who is subject to that authority. It promises life and light, it promises the goodness of God, indeed it promises eternal life. Now, let us begin in the book of, of this analysis. Our purpose here is to look at the origins of the authority of Christ. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who gave it to him, number one, and when was it given to him? Critical questions. Now, let's start with the book of Genesis, chapter 1, starting at verse 1, which says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, I've gone over this ground many times before, so much of what I say right here at the beginning will be conclusory ample evidence of the deconstruction of these passages exists in prior messages even as recently as the beginning of the of this series of messages. So it was not uh, a 24-hour day because the sun, the moon and the stars hadn't been created yet and in fact the earth hadn't been created yet, so there wasn't an earth revolving around the sun, there was not a 24-hour day when God said, 
let there be light, and concluded the light was good, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Impossible to be a 24-hour day. You don't have a sun, moon, and stars. You don't even have an earth yet to revolve around the sun. So you can't have a 24-hour day. Simple. Anybody else who says that, who infers that it's different than that, hasn't read the book. It's on the fourth day that he created the sun, the moon, and the stars. So you you have neither an earth nor sun around which the earth would revolve. It's impossible to have a 24-hour day. Why then? What then is the light? It's not the light of the sun, something else. What's the waters over which the Spirit of God is hovering? It's not the oceans. Why? They're unformed as of yet. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. There's a connection between the Spirit and what is called the waters. And by the way, waters are separated. Waters are put above the firmament, and the firmament is called heaven, not the sky, but heaven. And waters are below the earth. The waters below the earth are oceans, rivers, lakes, seas. The waters above the firmament, well, that's another matter. But thoroughly and totally relevant. Now, when God said, let there be light, this, this is the first prophetic reference in all of Scripture to Christ. Christ. God is about to pull the veil of darkness back from over Himself, who is the deep, and reveal Himself and the revelation of Himself will be incarnate in a person. And this is what God meant when He said, let there be light. You say, well, wow, that's, that's a mouthful and that's a stretch. You know that Sam Solon doesn't make stuff up. If he tells you that, he's going to show it to you in the Scriptures. Come, I'll show you. This is from the book of 2 Corinthians, Chapter 4, he's comparing in chapter 3, Moses with a veil over his face and the law to the ministry of the Spirit who unveils the truth. And now in chapter 4 he continues, therefore, Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, 
not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God." Now this is, this is rich language and as we unpack more of it, you will see how laden with, with uh, blessings and truth it is, but I'll go on. But if our gospel is veiled, so if it's like the law that had a veil over the face of Moses, if it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Now note the connection here between darkness as a veil over the deep, where the deep was not disclosed. This is like the law. Before creation, before the unveiling of the person of God, the state and form of being is analogous to the law, a veil. Look, if you think I'm, if you think I'm pushing it, come back to chapter 3 for just a minute here. Um, but if the ministry of death, verse 7 of chapter 3, if the ministry of death written and engraven in stone was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory uh, was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit be much more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, again speaking of the law, if the ministry let me let me retract for if the ministry of condemnation had glory the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory for even what was made glorious had no glory in respect to this because of the glory that excels in other words it could have been glorious indeed it was glorious but there was a more excellent glory right for if, for if what is passing away, the law, was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, he said, since we have such hope, elpis is the word there, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the end of that which was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ." How much plainer can it get? There was darkness over the surface of the deep. God was, un, was unrevealed. So the unrevealed nature of God was like a veil. This veil is analogized to the law as a veil. When Moses saw God face to face, it illuminated Moses. 
In short, as between God and Moses, there was not a veil, Moses' face was illuminated. When he came down to see Israel, they couldn't look even on that which had been in the presence of God, so he had to wear a veil. The law is that. It's the veiled reference to God. How how idiotic it is for people today to want to put the veil back on in the reading of the Old Testament. I was in Israel some years ago, not many years ago, and I attended a Messianic Jewish, I attended a number of Messianic Jewish uh, uh, meetings and watched in disbelief as these followers of Christ took a Torah scroll and paraded it around the, the meeting room and believers in Christ who were Jewish were touching it and weeping. I say that Messianic Judaism has put the veil back on. It's time for plainness of speech. It is not an emissary to the Jewish people. I found they were more Jewish than the regular Jewish folk in Israel, trying to to outdo the Jews in being Jewish. Now, these are Americans by and large although I did meet with a a constituency of folk from from, um, Russia, believers who still want the veil on their faces. I believe it's a disservice to Jews who are seeking Christ by emphasizing Jesus in the flesh. Now, this is a time of plainness of speech. It's a time to call people up to the standards of what God is saying and not be mincing words while people walk around in darkness. He says, for their minds were blinded for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Christ is the unveiling of God. Christ is the unveiling of the law. That's why he said, it was said before, but I say unto you. He is the one who knows the mind of the deep. He knows God. He is the revealed mind of God. Let's read on. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their hearts. Three times the reference to a veil. A veil first on their faces, a veil on their minds, and a veil on their hearts. What's the relevance of these veiled references? Number one, a veil on your mind 
means that your mind hasn't been renewed. A veil on your face means you cannot, no one can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You're not representational. You're not representational of God. Let no one say that walking under the law, and I'm speaking specifically to Christians who return to the law, do not say that you are able to put Christ on display because you've put a veil back over your face. Christ cannot be seen in your face. Why? Because you've intentionally put a veil on it. I see Gentiles putting a veil on their faces and it's horrifying. It's bad enough when Jewish believers put a veil on their face. It's inexcusable. It's inexcusably ignorant of the Scriptures when Gentiles do that. I don't want you to have any doubt as to whether or not I'm equivocating. A veil on your heart means you do not have you do not walk in the commandment that transcends all other commandments, the new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. You can only love in the conditions set forth by the law. So you neither have the heart to obey the... Christ cannot dwell in you if this veil is on your heart because you will not love another by the standard of His love. You will love another by the standard of the law which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then the third thing, well first the veil is on your face the veil is on your mind so your mind is not renewed and the veil is on your heart so you can't love like the new commandment requires. Which also tells us that the nature of the revealing of Christ whose authority we're under, like whom a husband is, has a face vis-a-vis his wife that is the presentation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That has a mind that sees her the way God sees her and can promote that in her and has a heart toward her that would lay down his life for her, which is the standard by which a husband ought to love a wife, it's also the exact standard of the new commandment, as I have loved you, which is to give up your life for the other even while she's arguing with you in the case of a wife. So this stuff is is transformative but And then he goes on, nevertheless, nevertheless, three veils, face, the mind, the heart, preventing you from showing the picture of Christ, Christ appearing in your person, 
the mind being renewed according to the standard of Christ and the heart to love as God loves. But it says, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord and for a fourth time veil, the veil is taken away. Fourth reference is to the removal of the veil. That is like when the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That veil was taken away. And now we could enter into the holy presence of God, into the holy of holies. There's no veil. The law was always, the law constituted four veils spoken of here. But when the law is removed, you may enter into the presence of God. Now the Lord is the Spirit. So you're not going into a temple where there's furniture and objects. You're coming into Christ. You're entering Christ through the Holy Spirit. For it is the Spirit who baptizes you, assembles you into the corpus Christi. For by one Spirit are we baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Greek, bond or free, and made to drink of the same Spirit. Access to the body of Christ is by the Spirit of God, for the Spirit hovers over the waters. But we all, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So when you take the veil off, it's like looking at yourself in a mirror. What do you see when you look in a mirror? You see yourself. But the mirror is Christ, so you are reflected in the mirror of Christ. Uh, being transformed, we with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So as you see the Lord where your face ought to be, you have the picture of what the standard looks like and you come away changed in the way you were deficient before you went in to look in the mirror of Christ being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, you think that was great, and it was. Listen to this, because this nails it down to when God said, let there be light, he was speaking of Christ. Not the law, not all these veils, but being able to see face to face. So in light of what of the foregoing, therefore since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart, and he's, we have read this before, we renounce the hidden things of shame, don't, we're not walking craftily with, with others. <laughs> uh, crafty people actually think they're smart, but God catches them in the traps of their own craftiness. Enough of that. But even if our gospel is veiled, that's where we took off to look at the four veils. 
But even, this is verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ, the Lord, and ourselves, bondservants, hypostasis, underneath, slave and master concept, bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now here's the scripture that ties it all together. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. When is that referenced? Genesis 1, 3. And God said, let there be light. Now what was existing before? Darkness was on the surface of the deep. So it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Clearest reference to this first scripture in Genesis. Let's see where it goes. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts, hmm? why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What was God doing? Let there be light, promising Christ. There's nowhere to go with it except here. You can't get away from this. This is the first reference in Scripture to the one who would come as the light of the world. So, when was he given all authority in heaven and on earth? Considering heaven and earth hadn't even been created yet. From the very beginning, before there was heaven, before God created the heavens and the earth, before all of that, he was given authority to represent God. Now, here's the kicker, if that weren't enough. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. What does that mean? Christ in us, us in Christ. Father, let them be one in the manner in which you and I are one. John 17. They in us, or in me, I in them. You are in me, I am in you, they are in me. Let them be one, Father, in us. In short, we emerged into the eternal purpose of God that existed before the creation of the world and that is the source of our authority 
Everything that God is, is the nature and the, and the character of divine authority. And when it functions, it produces the revelation of God in the earth. Now, that of course has to be unpacked in terms of these three set pieces. I hope by now you're listening to these messages understanding that they're cumulative and, and for the mature you will apply, you'll, you'll, you will see the accumulation of the wisdom of, of God as revealed and move toward the application within your own circumstances. I'm Sam Solon, I'll continue with you the next time. Bye-bye.